Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, good morning. Trying to convince them that the number of props isn't compensating for message content. <clears throat> so, um, so yesterday I'm having uh, kind of that internal conversation maybe you've had with yourself uh, on, on occasion. I'm uh, putting a fresh bag of kitchen trash into the garbage can on the deck. And as I put it in there, uh, I am reminding myself, Jay, before you go to bed, make sure you tie the lid on. Okay, because if you've seen my garbage can, it uh, it has a number of different flavors of duct tape that is covering holes. Uh, I've been in a perpetual battle for a number of years with skunks and raccoons and uh, actually squirrels, and uh, so it's colorful. It's barely together, and and I've been off. I have been a little bit. Un- I haven't had a battle for a couple of years, I think, which is nice. Um, but the other last week, uh, my dogs were up in the middle of the night, and uh, I made the mistake of letting them out, and found out that we have a, a new, relatively young skunk under the shed, and uh, that became a good opportunity for me to shave our dogs. Um, <laughs> it wasn't actually that bad; they got away much, much uh, better than they should have. But uh, I said to myself yesterday, "Lock up the lid, tie it down, tie it to the railing," so. That. So anyway, this morning, uh, I'm not sleeping very deep because I'm kind of I'm preparing even while I sleep the night before a sermon. And uh, my, dog, my, <laughs> my dogs make noise, and I think to myself, <gasps> this is like 2 in the morning, and I'm thinking, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't tie the garbage can up. So this time I make sure the dogs don't come out the door with me because that would make today even more complicated. And, and I peek out, and I see the garbage can still there, still where it's supposed to be. And I'm like, Phew. okay. So I shut the door. I walk over, and I say, well, just because it's there doesn't mean it will all night. So I tie it up, and I'm there. And this is, it's, it's totally dark. So I'm tying it up, tying it to the railing. It's all there. And I look to my left, and I'm looking at the stairs. And I've got these patty, or, uh, solar lights that only give enough light to kind of have a vague shadow. And I see a silhouette of a furry creature with a very fuzzy tail sticking up. And this is about five feet away from me. And, uh, and I had this kind of epiphany, this awareness that maybe I wasn't going to be preaching today. <laughs> maybe I wasn't going to be welcome. Um, fortunately, I don't know if it was the divine kind of shield or cloak that just Jedi mind trick, walk the other way, go away, skunk, and he decided to go down and... Uh, I tried to emphasize that this was my house and my property, so I, I threw a, a, a big empty bucket that was at the top of the stairs just as he was at the bottom to make sure that he knew he wasn't welcome. And then I smelled just a whiff of something, so he was trying to kind of make his point as well. Um, <clears throat> but I'm glad to be here, uh, and I, <laughs> glad to be here, and my smell is just my normal smell, so if you have a problem with that, then I can't do anything about that. But... Um, as uh, Nate kind of introduced, I've kind of been involved in uh, kind of a number of kind of arenas and places helping people. Um, 
within a congregational setting, uh, within kind of a correction setting with a halfway house. And for the last year, started last July with Canadian Health Recovery Center, which is a, a private rehab for men, uh, a residential treatment facility. And there's uh, been this really incredible learning curve of understanding and appreciating addiction and coming alongside men who are uh, trying, to, uh, trying to recover from their addiction. And, and I think some of the, the conclusions that I've come to is just appreciating how tough it is to overcome addiction. And a big part of why it's so hard to overcome is because addictive behavior, addictive experiences, addictive substances, they, they actually change the way our brains work. They create new and different neural pathways that exist even when we don't want them to, even when there are all sorts of consequences and things that would uh, kind of normally tell us that's not a good thing to do. These neural pathways can kind of get kicked into gear um, even when we don't want them to and uh, can kind of uh, hijack or sabotage our best intentions. So uh, people, one of the conclusions I've come to is that people struggling with addiction can't afford to live mindlessly. People with addictions can't afford to live mindlessly, passively, or they find themselves very quickly right back into their addictive behaviors. And, and that's super frustrating for themselves. Uh, that's super frustrating for people who are trying to love people with addictions, is that despite their best intentions, it is easy for them uh, to find themselves back in patterns and habits that they don't want to. And, and that's why one of the most valuable things that addiction counseling uh, can do is to help people, uh, help people struggling with addiction to become more mindful. And mindfulness is a huge theme, and it's probably a theme that you've bumped into uh, more and more. It's uh, education, we see it within business and leadership, uh, all sorts of environments we're seeing mindfulness as a theme that is kind of more and more prevalent, like there's an awareness or a growing appreciation for the importance of it. And I think it comes from largely kind of this increasing sense within Western culture of, of busyness, of being preoccupied either in the past and what could have or should have happened, being preoccupied with, with the future and what you wish would happen, or just the distraction of how many million different things that can kind of keep us paying attention to almost anything and everything other than what's actually going on inside us. So mindfulness is essentially just the skill of bringing our attention to whatever is happening in the present moment. It's the skill of bringing our attention to whatever is happening in the present moment. And so one of the ways that I help my clients kind of develop mindfulness is, is I try and introduce them to an idea or a concept that, that sometimes helps to kind of take this big idea of mindfulness into something a little bit more constructive and a little bit more practical. And I introduce them to this idea of recognizing kairos moments. You say, what's a kairos moment? That's a great question. So a kairos moment is a moment where we recognize potential. And maybe to, for us to understand it, we have to maybe do a contrast. Uh, another Greek word for time that we get translated into English as time is chronos, right? So we get words like chronology, chronological. 
And so that's the idea of time being a sequence, right? So minutes, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, right? There's this kind of what time is it we're asking, we're wanting to know what time is it in the sequence of chronology. So chronos, but when we're talking about kairos, we're not talking about kind of what time it is in sequence. We're recognizing that there are certain times that are kind of just pregnant with potential. They have within them kind of this crossroads threshold where something important can happen, right? So we say, it's time, right? When someone important in your life says, it's time to, you know, come here. We know that they're not talking about chronology, but they're talking about how important that time is, and if you don't come, there's probably consequences, right? So the Kairos moment is helping people to understand and appreciate, to recognize these Kairos moments when time is not about chronology, but about a moment where something important can be gained, learned, or appreciated. So understanding the idea. So maybe it helps if I, uh, if I kind of draw it out here. So if we think of time being kind of, I know not everyone's going to be able to see it, but if Kronos is kind of just the time, the sequence of events, when we talk about Kairos moments, we're talking about a particular moment that is worth paying attention to. So, now understanding that it's easy to get overwhelmed and wanting to make things as simple as possible, I really only try and focus on two things when I'm trying to help people appreciate Kairos moments. And number one is just helping them to recognize those moments more easily, more quickly, uh, with more skill. And secondly is helping them to understand how they can learn from those moments, all right? So it's recognizing them and then learning from them, okay? So with that in mind, so an example, you know, I get a call from alumni, someone who's been in treatment, and he calls me up a few weeks later and says, Jay, I'm totally triggered. All I want to do is drink, okay? So my first conversation would be to say, okay, let's talk about what happened today. Is there something that happened today that maybe has kind of influenced you feeling so triggered uh, and, and this craving that you need to have. And he said, well, I guess I did have a huge blowout fight with my wife this morning. All right? And I said, well, that sounds like a Kairos moment. Right? Because how do you feel, right? If we recognize that, how do we feel? Then I, I give him the opportunity to start talking about what he's thinking as that argument develops as he walks away from the argument. How are you feeling? He says, oh man, I hate it. I hate, hate how she makes me feel. I hate that I feel like I'm useless and that my marriage is going to end and that everything's, it's just a terrible feeling, right? So I get him to explore that. Then I also get him to explore what he's going to do. So when you come out of that argument with your wife and you're thinking, you know, how terrible it is, you don't like how she makes you feel, and you're starting to think about what? Just trying to escape those terrible kind of discomfort of, of how that argument makes you feel, and so your natural pathway to do that when you've had addiction in your background is to go to your, your drug of choice, right? So if, if I help them think about, is there a different way to think about this, and is there a different way to respond to it, I've given them a tool that helps this experience that naturally is going to trigger him and could make him easily feel like afterwards, I don't even know how I got there, but I ended up at the bar. 
It's like, well, you ended up at the bar because you went through a process that made you feel and think a certain way, and then you made a decision. But what if there are alternatives? What if there's a different way to look and feel about that? So I've just invited him to become more mindful, to have a little bit more, some more tools and skills to be able to him tackle uh, what, what he needs to in terms of trying to pursue his recovery goals. Okay, so there's an example of what it looks like. <clears throat> so here, here's my question, though. Why are my pages out of order? That's the first question. All right, is, here's my request. Can you keep a secret? Can it stay in the room? Camera's off. What my clients don't know is that by taking them through this process and this cycle of learning to think and act differently is that I'm actually helping them to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I'm not using a lot of spiritual language as I'm taking them through that, but essentially what I'm doing is that I'm helping them to become learners, which again is the word that Jesus called his followers, disciples, right? Learners. Because the way of Jesus is to learn his way of living. And you may, you may doubt as to kind of where I go with this, but let's look at, let's look at uh, Mark 1.15. And I think, do I have it up there? Oh, no, I don't. Um, oh, yeah, I do. So Mark 1.15, little verse that encapsulates a whole bunch. So John the Baptist has come on the scene, prepared the way, got people in a buzz kind of thinking and talking about what God might be doing. He gets arrested. Jesus kind of emerges with his public ministry. He goes public, and this is what he says. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So guess what word Mark uses to describe the time has come. He doesn't say the chronos has come. The sequence of time is here. He says the kairos has come. The moment of opportunity has come. And that moment of opportunity is that the kingdom of God has come near. And what an amazing way to understand what Jesus does, right? God in the flesh comes into human experience, brings the kingdom of God within reach, within grasp, right? How easy it is for us to feel like God is far away and not really engaged and kind of somewhere other than where I am. And Jesus says, the good news is that the kingdom of God is closer than you think. It's within reach, And how do we grab that? How do we grab the rule and reign of God, the shalom, the peace with God, peace with myself, peace with others? How do I tap into or experience the sense of of the kind of life that is possible when God is allowed into it? How do I tap into that? Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. And repent... Metanoia, metamorphosis, the idea of change. What kind of change is it? It's the change in our thinking. Changing what we think. Belief is the idea of not just kind of understanding something to be true, but living it in a way that's consistent with what we believe. And what we find is, Jesus says that this is how we experience the kingdom of God 
through this cycle of repent and believe. The time is here. The kairos, the moment of opportunity is here. The good news is, it's closer than you think. We enter into it by changing the way we think, changing the way we act. And so I have this opportunity to invite my clients into, even though they don't understand it, learning to live in the way of Jesus. They just need to connect some more dots, and they're almost there. So counselors teach people with addictions mindfulness, because you can't, you can't expect to try and conquer or overcome addiction without developing mindfulness. But I don't think it's much of a stretch for us as followers of Jesus, how easy it is for us to kind of be mindless, passive, allow maybe good events, good experiences, good stuff around us to kind of define most of what it is that we are. There's an invitation for us to become mindful as well, mindful of the kairos moments that are maybe around us every day that we're not even aware of. So this morning, I want to give us a couple of uh, four different, so I want to help you recognize those kairos moments, and then we can kind of think about what to do with them as we unpack them, okay? Because I think there's four, four kind, of, uh, kind of typical ways that kind of God shows up in those kairos moments which are powerful ways for us to hear God's voice. I think in some ways, these Kairos moments are kind of the megaphone that God uses to speak into our lives. There's four. So the first one I like to refer to as speed bumps. And uh, this is uh, my most impressive prop, okay. which not everyone's going to be able to see. But <clears throat> this is the, uh, it looks like not just a speed bump, but speed bumps. But that was the best I could do. So uh, speed bumps are put in a place on a roadway or in a lane somewhere because we are concerned that without them, people will travel too fast and miss something important. Or they might not miss something important like a kid and hurt them, right? Like, like run them over. So the idea of a speed bump is there to kind of force us to kind of pause and recognize and be aware. And so I think a speed bump is a good way for us to be thinking about what are kind of some of the most often ways that we bump into these kairos moments, opportunities for us to hear from God and ask that question, you know, what should I, how should I change my thinking? How should I change my action? So speed bumps, a good example, uh, I was thinking from a scriptural perspective, an example of a speed bump, someone who kind of there was something that wasn't, like a speed bump isn't like totally in your face, Right? Has anyone ever found out that there was a speed bump kind of after the fact? Right? I, I particularly love it when it's uh, some relatively young kid with a tuned-up car really low to the ground, and they try to hit a speed bump. That's fun, but I probably shouldn't have that much fun watching that. But, um, so speed bumps, speed bumps are there. They're not necessarily totally in our face, but we recognize them if we pay attention. And I think that's a good way to understand maybe the majority of kind of the day-to-day Kairos moments. And I was thinking from a scriptural perspective, a, a, an interesting one would be Moses. Think of Moses after he, uh, he had to run from Egypt, and now he's, for a number of years, 40 years, he's been a, a farmer, or sorry, a shepherd, out in the wilderness. And as he's shepherding, we have this picture of him noticing a bush that's burning. And that alone isn't the most unusual thing. Probably if you're in lots of areas in Canada, actually around the world, seeing a burning bush isn't that unusual, it seems, this summer. But what Noah or Moses noticed was that the bush didn't burn up. And we actually have 
that, uh, that reference that it says, <clears throat> I will go over and see this straightened site, that's what Moses says, why the bush does not burn up. And so we have this very simple kind of choice of him noticing the bush and then paying some attention and following up with it. And because of that, we have this opportunity for God to speak to Moses and kind of reveal himself and his heart and his goal of wanting to invite Moses into this role of deliverer of his people and leading them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And that was all a result of Moses Moses. Moses noticing this bush, paying attention to it enough for him to then follow up and consider and get closer to it. All right, so, so not all of us are going to have many burning bush experiences in our life. Is that fair? Where maybe even follow up on it. It's not necessarily going to be that you're going to have to do something, you know, so audacious and big and kind of scary like that. But there are lots of little things where we follow up on it and we get kind of rewarded with it being something significant. Right? And I was thinking about a conversation I had with a coworker. Uh, about six months ago, and just uh, one of my coworkers, a lovely young woman, and uh, she, we ended up in this conversation where she started talking, we, somehow we got talking about the Kardashians. And she made this statement that they, she really respected the Kardashian women as role models. And I, I just went really quick to this place of second-guessing and kind of wondering how or why someone could come to that conclusion. Okay? And I was still relatively gentle because I'm, I'm usually not that mean of a guy. But I went, I went there pretty quick where I was like, are you sure? And, uh, and anyway, the conversation didn't, didn't blow up or anything, but it was there. And I remember kind of just thinking about it the next few days. It just didn't sit right with me. As I reflect, I just couldn't shake this sense that that conversation didn't go the way I wanted. What I'd done was recognized that that conversation was a Kairos moment, and I began this process of reflecting and wondering if there was something that I needed to change in how I thought. And I realized that I don't, I don't want to be that judgmental person that just automatically jumps down someone's throat as soon as they say something without asking a few clarifying questions at least. So I had that kind of conclusion and that awareness, and then, which kind of presented me, well, what am I going to do with it? Well, I could have convinced myself, just don't do that again, Jay. Right? Which is kind of the easy way out. And I said, you know what, I, need to, I think I need to try and make that right. So I emailed her, and then I had a conversation with her. And I think she was surprised because she just thought it was not really that big a deal. But it was important for me to follow through on that, not for her sake, but just for kind of my own integrity. Because I felt like it was something that I did that I didn't, wasn't proud of. I didn't like how it went. And I followed through and said, that's, that's just not who I am, and that's not how I want to act. And I think she, her respect for me grew even though it was just a relatively minor thing. I didn't become, right, the deliverer of Egypt or of Israel out of that, but I did feel like I was kind of being true and I was kind of listening to that voice uh, of God in my life that helped me to feel like I was heading in the right direction in the way of Jesus, okay? So that's the first one is the speed bump, right? paying attention to small things and just saying, why, why does that bother me? What am I going to do with it? Where might that go? So the next one is less subtle, right? We're talking about, we're talking about brick walls, okay? So if you go over a speed bump too fast, okay, maybe there's some sparks. 
you hit a brick wall too fast, it's kind of game over, right? Like things change really quickly. That's an instantaneous change of, of velocity and direction and all that kind of stuff. That's a big deal. And I think brick walls are kind of those more dramatic Kairos moments where you get the bad news. You get the hard news. You get the news that you weren't expecting or that you don't want to hear. That those often are difficult and they kind of bring us to that moment of just stopping completely and being aware of stuff. And from a scriptural perspective, I was thinking of the rich young ruler as he comes to Jesus in Mark 17. Right? You get this guy who I'm pretty sure he thinks he's all that and that he's got it all down pat. And he comes to Jesus, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit an eternal life? Right? Jesus says, oh, you got to follow the law and all this kind of stuff, which I think he expected was the answer Jesus was going to give. He says, I'm on that. I've been on it for a long time. No issues there. Anything else? Which was probably the question he was saying. No, nothing else. You're good. Then Jesus says, yeah, the only other thing would be to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Right? And there's like, you just see the, the air just kind of disappear out of this guy's world. And it says he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. Right? That's kind of a brick wall moment a Kairos moment where you get confronted with something that was unexpected and hard, and you kind of have that choice. And, and the way that that story is, is posed in Mark 17 makes you think that the Kairos moment happened, but he actually chose not to enter into it. It just says that he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. So to me, that's kind of a missed Kairos moment Right where, he, where there, maybe there's more to the story that we're not told, but, but that's the feeling you get, is that he walked away, didn't engage, didn't step into that circle of being able to say, uh, what needs to change about how I think, what needs to change about how I act. So brick, brick walls. Um, a personal example of the Kairos moment that's kind of like a brick wall. I was thinking of when we used to live in Burlington, and we had been kind of living in the suburbs for uh, three, four years, and we were starting to get that itch to say it'd be nice to have a, a lot with some more pro- property, a little more space, neighbors that weren't kind of breathing down our, our necks. And so we found this place north of the city, that big lot and affordable, right? Pretty rare. Put an offer in and realized we we're going to have to go with a firm offer. We couldn't sell ours first and then have that go through. We were going to have to make a firm offer. So it seemed like a calculated risk at the time, the way that the market was going. But a few weeks, and I don't even know if it was months into it, there was that moment where there were no offers. And we were starting to talk about bridge financing, carrying two places, and all this kind of stuff. And there was kind of that brick wall moment of saying, oh man, what have we gotten ourselves into? And my wife emerged out of this season with kind of this one day, just with this conviction of saying, I think I need to go next door and have a conversation with their neighbors. And I'm like, the neighbors that we don't talk to, that we don't really like, <clears throat> that we had to build a nice fence to be able to endure, the ones that we're trying to move away from. She said, yes, those. And she says, I think I, think I need to go next door and make things right. And so I think there was a pie involved. Was there a pie? Which made me sad because I like pie. I mean, I wasn't going over. But so, she, so a couple hours later, she came back and, and the air was cleared, right? Things were kind of healed. The resentment and bitterness was talked about and not there. And shortly, I don't know if it was the end of the week, like our house was sold. And, and there was this clear sense of realizing that 
running into this brick wall was a Kairos moment, right, of feeling like, what is going on? Why can't this move? We should be able to sell this house, and it's not. And yet it became this opportunity for, you know, in retrospect, for my wife to kind of enter into this learning circle of, of some evaluation and reflection of what's, what's out of whack, what needs some attention that maybe is kind of stopping things up and preventing them from moving ahead. And her decision to say, you know, it's not good to leave things not dealt with. And the decision to go and do something about it meant that that was a powerful uh, Kairos moment for us as a couple, and particularly my wife. So brick walls. So we talked about speed, speed bumps, brick walls. How about this? You don't know what this is? It's my homemade version of a crystal ball. <laughs> Thanks to the dollar store. Okay, and uh, the, the crystal ball is something that, especially culturally, it becomes this symbol of being able to have a glimpse into the future. Have you ever had a, a Kairos moment that, that was kind of the epiphany or kind of an opening or ability to imagine or appreciate what could be possible, of what should maybe be possible? And crystal ball moments are ones that I think we can bump into sometimes. I think of, uh, of Abram in, in Genesis, God has called him out of the land that he grew up in, said, oh, I'm going to show you where, where you need to go. And he leaves. He gets this promise he's going to be the father of great nations, that the world is going to be blessed through his offspring. And yet a number of years later, he's still single with his wife, Sarah, who's, who's childless. And he's thinking, okay, how is this going to happen? And I love how, how God says, Abram, look up in the night sky and count the stars. Right? So it's that invitation to kind of get your... Get your view off of what is on the horizontal and kind of step out of that to appreciate just how many stars there are. For your imagination to be caught of what will happen and to trust that it will and to kind of get overwhelmed like only you can under the starry night sky with the bigness of God and the smallness of us. That's kind of a crystal ball moment maybe that helped nudge Abram kind of that next, next uh, down the road of, of remaining faithful. For me, one of my most significant crystal ball moments was, uh, was sitting in a funeral at the age of 19, and a good friend who had been killed in a car accident by someone uh, who was a drunk driver. And I remember sitting in that funeral that was overflowing with all of the people that had been touched by just 19 years of life. And for me, that was a Kairos moment. And it began a season of reflection that changed the way I thought and changed the way I acted. Resulted by the end of that year with the, the beginning of changing my whole educational kind of orientation and where I was going to go that, that I changed, that I wanted to invest myself in changing people and not things. For me, that was a crystal ball moment being a part of that funeral because it made me begin to kind of look forward and say, what do I want my legacy and my impact to be? Okay, the final one. Final one is the mirror moment. The mirror Kairos moment. <clears throat> and that's where we kind of see ourselves in all of our beauty or lack of, right? There, there's a reality in the, in the mirror that is hard to look away from. From a scriptural perspective, you know, the, most, the one that always gets me is the prophet Nathan confronting David, King David, right? He is just 
uh, he's basically misused his power and authority to uh, basically rape Bathsheba, kill her husband by forcing him to the front lines, and seems to be able to kind of just sweep it under the rug as if it's no big deal. And the prophet Nathan pulls him aside, tells a story about a little lamb that, that is cherished by the family, but some kind of big mean dude just comes in and steals it. And David's furious, furious that someone would do this and is ready to go out and kind of mete out justice. And, and Nathan says, dude, you are that guy. Right? And he crumbles in that moment, right, with that humility and contrition that, that just recognizes that the man in the mirror is actually him. I have sinned against God. Right? And so there's speed bumps, there's brick walls, there's the crystal ball moments, but there's these mirror moments as well where we kind of we get a, a, a picture of who we are or who we have been. And it's contrasted with who we want to be, who we're called to be. I think of, of, a, of a season, a conversation with a leadership coach I had a few years ago. I was in a different leadership environment, struggling with kind of just feeling I didn't have any confidence anymore. And we, we kind of wove it back to this meeting where someone I had really trusted and respected had kind of thrown me under the bush in this meeting. Under the bush, under the bus, which is a slightly different analogy. <laughs> um, being, I felt like I was thrown under the bus, right, amongst kind of other people I respected by this person I really respected. And that was the beginning of me really second-guessing myself, of not having the confidence to step forward and be assertive and all these kind of things. And I'll never forget when, when my coach said to me, Jay, what would a secure Jay do in that situation? And for me, that was a mirror moment, that phrase, and it becomes up in all sorts of arenas in my life where I have to ask myself, what would a secure Jay do in the situation? Because it reminded me that that how I was responding was insecure, that I was being insecure. I was allowing the lack of respect or affirmation by other people to impact how I felt about myself. So I step into the learning circle and remind myself that I'm called and gifted by God, and that's the only attitude and, and, and affirmation I need. And then I'm going to choose not to take personal, right, disrespect from other people, right? That was my learning circle that, that I was able to enter into because of that mirror moment. Okay, so there's a bunch of habits that can help us. We've talked about the four different kind of uh, Kairos moments that help us to appreciate how God wants to speak to us, Kairos learning moments, speed bumps, brick walls, crystal balls, and mirror moments. How can we get better at that? A big part of it is just creating some time and space in our life, right? How can we be more mindful of what's going on when we keep ourselves completely, you know, busy with all sorts of stuff that are not necessarily bad, but not necessarily strategic either? Creating time and space, personal disciplines, meditation, prayer, journaling, all those kind of things, they just open us up, create some space conversations with people. A lot of my, my best uh, Kairos moments involve other people, right? Inviting other people into my life because they can see things that I can't, right? Opens us up. My final story that I want to share is one that, uh, that kind of haunts me, and it comes back at different times and places. When I was a youth pastor in Burlington, I was part of a big annual youth retreat that had about a thousand kids that would come uh, you know, to a big convention center. And because I was part of the leadership team, we would go early. And I was there on the Friday waiting for, you know, my 100 kids that were going to come that evening. 
um, setting up, and, and someone from the prayer team that had been there all week praying about the event, praying for the speaker, for the leaders, for the kids, for all the activities, just been kind of bathing the whole experience in prayer. One of the prayer team comes up to me and, and starts sharing some of the things that the prayer team has been praying about related to my group. Okay? Most of them were all kind of just generic, cool things, and I was glad that they were. But then they said, there's these two names that keep coming up to us. Do they mean anything to you? So the names didn't really mean much to me because they weren't, part of, they weren't names that I was familiar with. But then I realized that there were two kids that, were, that one of my core students had been trying to sign up for the retreat, had been trying to get to come, hadn't been to anything we'd done. I hadn't even met them yet. She was hopeful that they were going to show up, had expressed some sort of interest. And these two names had come up by the prayer team. But it was Friday, and the day before I had found out that they weren't going to come. And so I'm haunted with that sense of trying to make sense of it, of, of recognizing that somehow these two kids were on God's radar to the extent that the prayer team knew these names, didn't know what to do with them. And the, the sad part of it is kind of that conclusion of feeling like there was a Kairos moment missed that maybe could have changed the eternal trajectory of those two kids' lives because they didn't show up. It was a Kairos moment prepared, and yet they didn't show up. makes me think about the moments that I've been exposed to maybe that I wasn't even aware of, not even mindful of, where I didn't even show up. We could live there, but we could look forward and say, what would it take for me to just miss less of them moving forward, right? What would it take for me to create more space to recognize those Kairos moments more often? What difference would it make for me to feel like I was hearing from God, right? Because this, when when I'm able to ask, what is God saying and what am I going to do about it? And I follow through in that process, right? That's life. That's not just kind of living and having it happen to you. That's intentional life. That's where we touch and reach the kingdom, where we grab it through repentance and belief. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for our time together. Uh, Maybe we want to confess that sometimes we take time for granted and we allow a lot of life to just happen to us. We could live kind of looking backwards with kind of regret and shame and and discouragement, thinking about kind of how we've wasted time or just, you know, not engaged or embraced. Father, I I think you probably just want us to look forward more with that sense of anticipation of, of believing and imagining kind of those Kairos moments that you place right in front of us every day if we're able to recognize them. Father, the... I just know that we feel closer to you when we are engaged in looking for those Kairos moments where we're asking the question, God, what are you trying to say to me and what am I going to do about it? That's where we feel most spiritually alive. That's when I think we touch the kingdom. Father, I just pray that we would have the courage to reach out and grab more often, to embrace those Kairos moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.